Stock Talk Podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge. Here we go. Welcome to it, Stock Talk. Happy 4th of July, and I had a good one. Hope you all did as well, Corey. Uh, it looks like you had a, a family gathering at the homestead. Yes, yes. Fourth of July is special for the Edge family. Uh, we have several anniversaries that we celebrate, but the most important one is uh, for my mom and dad. So uh-huh. they just celebrated 29 years of marriage, uh-huh. and uh, they headed off early in the week to go to Dale Hollow Lake. And enjoy and celebrate their anniversary with some good friends of theirs. So, yes, we had uh, quite the gathering at the Edge Ranch uh, up on the hill. So it was pretty fun. Pretty fun to do that. I love the new sign. Shout out Doug Edge. Yeah. Got that pretty little thing. So it's got a farm name, but it's also Edge Livestock now, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, So... Nothing has been released on our social medias yet, but we are we are going to transition to Edge Livestock uh, because of some species diversification uh, we're getting involved with. So, yes, uh, Hilltop Farms is the original name of uh, the property from my great-grandfather who first purchased the land back in the, oh, I want to say that probably would have been the 50s. 40s or 50s uh and so when he started that he he liked hilltop farms um the original property goes up a lane and then uh, there's a grain center an old dairy farm um some livestock barns that that all set on top of a hill up there and so he came up with hilltop farms there you go and the rest is history but obviously there's livestock involved now so uh, we are going to take Edge Club Lambs to Edge Livestock at uh, some point in time. Might just have a graphic designer that we all know working on uh, working on that project. Uh-huh. And uh, if my parents do listen to this episode, surprise, uh, I don't think they were expecting that <laughs> to happen. So, uh, but yeah, that that is uh, that's kind of where we're going. I'm excited. There's there's lots of lots of moving parts and pieces and things that we're getting back involved in. That is awesome. Very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of exciting, um, right now we've got the uh, Walton is down in Louisville or Louisville, wherever you're from, how you say it, uh, at the uh, Summer Spectacular. Um, As we record this, showmanship's going on today, and they are also uh, at the uh, JNHE Summer Spectacular here coming up. They've got county fairs they're going to. Uh, Walton's everywhere, and we're well aware of that. Um, the ring shots are incredible. Uh, we just keep getting better and better. Um, I even saw that they're doing some uh, uh, like world race finales with the horses and that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, they're uh, doing all kinds of stuff. I was really pumped up. Some of these cattle junior nationals, I had an opportunity to throw that on the on the third computer screen while I was working and just have a little livestock background noise, different species. Just, uh, it's always nice to have entertainment in the office when those shows are going on. And it seems like they're at a lot of them this time of year. So you should never be bored and always have something to watch on Walton webcasting. For sure. 
for sure. Um, oh, by the way, uh, if nobody's noticed, my my audio should sound <laughs> very good to you right now. Um, after the first episode we recorded of this season, the soundboard that I had, which was the original soundboard, Stock Talk had purchased, uh, just I don't know if it was overheating or it didn't agree with my laptop. Took a big uh, old poopy. Just took a dump on, on everything we were trying to do. So the last few episodes were record. My audio was recorded just through my MacBook speakers and microphone. And so there's there should be a significant quality. I the old mic is back. The well, not the old mic, but uh, the mics that the Trevor mic. and I purchased. What what did we purchase these about a year ago? Mm, yeah, when. Uh, we decided to up our game, which was definitely yeah, yeah. a little over a year ago. Yeah, about a year ago. And, and now, so now I've got this really neat little uh, box that feeds all my cords through and into my computer. It's uh, much more functional than the other one that I had and uh, definitely a lot lighter weight, brand new. Yeah. And yeah obviously I was, working. I was a little concerned that our listeners were like, wow, Corey just kind of gave up on his audio because it sounds like crap. We probably think that more than them. You could hear yourself fine, but these mics are beautiful and I'm glad I know. I'm glad we're back. Well, if I remember right, we did talk about the microphones we use, yeah. uh like so Jay Z, like, Beyonce. Yeah. Michael uh, Jackson. Michael Jackson. We were like little kids. I've recorded with the mic store. that we're using currently. Yeah. Pretty pretty good. Can't get any better. Um speaking of not getting any better um, showpig.com, show cattle connection, the Wint group umbrella. Uh, we had a really good meeting uh, with those folks. So, uh, we're, you'll, you'll be hearing more from that side of things. Uh, really excited about some of the opportunities there. Um, but you guys hear it every week. And if, uh, you've got your show pigs and you're not selling them on showpig.com, get with the times and book your next sale on showpig.com. Uh, we will, get into show cattle connection next if you've got show cattle if rather you're buying or selling you need to do it through show cattle connection more than anything if you're going to work with somebody you've got to work with good people and if your finances depend on it you definitely want to work with good people and that is what i'm talking about when i say show cattle connection and showpig.com so yeah big announcements coming for uh for our relationship there with those folks and uh, you know, this podcast is as multi-species one you'll find out and available to listen to. Uh, this is important to us that we stay multi-species, but when you have industry leaders like Show Pig and Show Cattle that want to be involved with your platform and the content that we're creating, uh, obviously we have to uh, we have to take full advantage of that. So we're we're going to we're going to continue the relationship with Show Pig and Show Cattle and. Uh, even though you're listening to a show sheet podcast, this go round. Yeah. We get, we're just, uh, we're, we're loving the multi-species train. You got to, we got to spread the love. And I, I've often heard people are like, you know, Hey, I'm, I raised cattle, but I really enjoyed that pig episode or, Hey, I I've never showed a sheep in my life, but I really enjoyed that episode or so it's kind of crosses over. And I think you can learn rather, uh, what species you're involved in. You can learn very thoroughly how things are done, even if uh, it's livestock you don't produce. So, yeah. Um, Corey, I've been hearing a lot about the Holy Buckets moments. Uh, they're getting popular, getting some yeah. Snapchats in that people are enjoying them. So, um, I got to tell you, my Holy Buckets moment, 
was a scary one. I well, oh. maybe that's probably oh, oh, too dramatic. Oh oh oh! I do have a holy buckets moment. You asked me before we recorded if I had one. I've got one. So continue. Okay. Well, I'm glad because you invented this thing. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, uh, I hate when this happens, and maybe some of you have experienced it. But um, I just got off work and. Uh, I got a text message that says, hey, looking forward to having you here in July. I just wanted to make sure everything was good to go for X County Fair. I was like, oh, I looked at my calendar, nothing on my calendar. So I did some digging and this is something that uh, I, I guess through a text thread I committed to way back in like last September. And looked in my contract file, then never received a contract. And I love to judge shows, but this was a work conflict. So I had to, to, to say, hey, uh, I can't do that one. But luckily, uh, I've, I've already had kind of a, a uh, subcontractor, if you will. Somebody lined up to do it for me. But I was like, holy buckets, how did I miss this one? Uh, and I, re I really don't think uh, it was anybody's fault because I think what happened was, you know how it goes, you send out the contract, and I think it was sent to my old address. So it was returned uh, yeah. to them, and obviously we weren't there. So uh, I hate that I couldn't do it, and I hate when that happens, but I think I think it's all good. But I was like, holy buckets, what, what, what just happened? Now I've got, so anyway, crisis averted, but that was definitely a holy buckets moment. Yeah, this has, so, so, my holy buckets moment has nothing really to do with livestock other than the fact that I was on my way home from work and I work in the livestock industry. So there's your <laughs> connection. Uh, so it was uh, Monday. I'm driving home from work. Uh, not the Monday that you guys are listening, but the Monday previous. Uh, I was driving home from work and uh, going normal speed on I-65 headed home. This car in front of me, I was about two car lengths behind, just slams on its brakes out of nowhere, oh, starts no. skidding down the road, takes a hard left. And I'm thinking I'm about to rear end this person. Just check my mirror in enough time to slam on my brakes so I don't hit that car. And I swerve to the right into the right lane. And in over top of this car that was in front of me bounces a tire. Oh. This tire then bounces towards me uh, after I had swerved and then lays on its side and I ran over it. I had no, I mean, in my car, I had nowhere to go. Whoa. And uh, then I just happened to be on a, on a, like a, a ramp that was coming into the highway. So there was a place for me to pull over. So I pulled over and I got out thinking I had just wrecked the grill of my car underneath of it's all tore up. Um, and I'm like, I just ran over this tire. Well, it was luckily not a fully intact tire. It was just the rubber from a semi tire that had obviously just come off. Whoa. Uh, and I was like, holy buckets. I had, I just about died. <laughs> the crazy oh. thing is, is other than me and this car that had to make a you know diversion move, nobody else seemed to be bothered by the fact that there was a bouncing tire coming down the road at, at vehicles because the people that were behind me just kept cruising uh, along the road. And I got back in my car after I had a little heart attack, got back on the road and uh, saw the semi 
and uh, it was it was not a trailer tire it was one of his tires fortunately it was one like the back dually tires so didn't really affect his driving that much but it certainly scared the ever living daylights out of me on the way home what is up with you and interactions with semis because there was a giant pinata a couple episodes ago and now we're got tires flying at your head so yeah i you know i don't know but uh just just know that i survived and uh i I did go back into work so Mm. we're we're okay woof well yeah holy buckets uh it was not the words that i used when i I saw that tire bouncing towards me (laughs) i bet not uh, well, um, so we have a, a segment that is not sponsored yet, and uh, I want everybody to know that Breedem Shipem Showem is still open for sponsorship. If you're out there and wanting uh, that, give us a email, stocktalkpodcast at gmail.com, or hit us up on our website, stocktalk-podcast.com, Facebook, whatever, uh, because Corey Edge, this hotline's blowing up. And people are getting creative. I was going to say there is, I mean, there is no real excuse at this point for this episode or for this, you know, part of our episode not to be sponsored. And listen, this is much, much like selling quality livestock. The sponsorship is for sale, but it's not on sale. Uh, And if you guys want to know the reason that we can do what we do is because we do have some great industry partners and sponsors that help us out. And so uh, why not take advantage of the most popular thing that we do in read them, ship them, show them. I mean, we have a stack of ever since we, we decided the one week that we didn't have any breed them, ship them, show them that we were going to just cut it off and say, Hey, if you guys don't want to do this, then that's fine. We won't do it. And then the hotline blew up and it is still on fire. We're going to have to probably get another burner phone, here just to collect all the messages that we've been getting. So and they, they, hey, we only air the, the best. It's just like our content. It's got to be good. So got to be real good. And and these have been very very good. Way good. I still want them to come in because we'll we'll stack them up. Even if you don't hear yours this week, promise we'll get to them if it's a if it's a heater like this one. Our phone number is two three four three two zero zero four five seven. Give us a call. Leave us a message. Two three four. Three two zero zero four five seven. Corey, are you ready for this? I I think I am. Yep. Let's let's see what our buddy has to say today. Hello, Stock Talk Nation. My name's Chad Booth, and I'm out here in California. And I think I have your next breed 'em, ship 'em, show 'em. Of course, we're going to put a little twist on it. We're going to figure out which of you guys are the breeders, which of you guys are the showers which you guys like to sell stuff. The twist to this week's freedom shipping showing is you have three opportunities and you get to keep one, you get to gift one, and you have to pass on the third opportunity. Let's start off with our breeders. You have the opportunity to own 10 iconic females, these mothers. You also have the opportunity to own 10 first-time females. And then you have one brand new stud. The catch is you are a completely closed facility. Yes, you can still ship semen in, but no outside purchases come, can come onto your facility. What you need to do is you need to identify the species that you're breeding, the breed of which well they are, 
and identify some of the pedigrees. Your second opportunity is for the showers. You have five elite show animals on feed. What you need to identify is, again, what species are you showing? What shows are you going to take these guys to? What breed are they? And, of course, have some fun with the pedigrees. Now, again, those five elite show animals have the potential to win any show you take them to. The catch is after you finish showing those five animals, you can never set foot in a show ring again. Then our third opportunity is for the sellers. You're the first to ever do it. You just sold the $1 million sale topper. Of course, you need to identify what species the heck did you just sell and what did you sell. Of course, the catch is once you sell that animal, you can never be involved with that species again. So again, you got to keep one, you got to gift one, and you got to pass on one of these three opportunities. What are you going to be? The breeder, the shower, or the seller? Have a great day, Stock Talk. Woof. You're, you're going first because my brain's still spinning. There's options within options. This is incredible, by the way. Great job, yeah. Chad. But yeah, I've got to think about this. Yeah. So um, I, I think I think within the opportunities, there's there's some stuff to play with. Um, you know, Chad says that we can breed one, we can gift one, and then we can pass. You got to pass. Yeah. So that's kind of your breed one, ship one, show one. Your show one is more of the gift one, if I had to guess. Right. Uh, in this scenario. So, um, listen, I, I don't know that I, I think it'd be super cool to breed a million dollar seller. However, I think there's another opportunity in here that as a breeder excites me more. Uh, so what I'm going to do in this scenario is I'm going to pick um, just for the sake of having a little fun here. Um, I'm going to gift the million dollar sale topper. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to do this uh, gift to Doug edge. Uh. Okay. Because dad uh, enjoys cattle and he enjoys sheep. I'm going to make his million dollar sales stop a sale topper, a pig. And I'm going to make that pig inadvertently a Berkshire boar. There you go. <laughs> and so Doug edge can no longer play in the Berkshire boar business. However, he comes and he has the million dollar sale topper at the Berkshire type conference. And I make commission. What's up? <laughs> Uh, okay. loophole. Uh, <laughs> I love finding loopholes. Uh, then, uh, so for me, I'm going to take the 10 iconic females and the stud and I'm going to breed those things. And that's what I'm going to do. Um, and I am totally fine with having a closed herd, uh, whatever it is, but you know, those females, um, considering you have a closed herd, there's only certain types of of businesses that working within a closed herd can work 
for you, uh, I think, on a high level. Now, that being said, by having the opportunity to order semen, uh, that's very good. So you're going to start off with like the best of the best female base you could probably assemble. And then you've got a young stud to get you started. And then you could start pulling semen in and making some outcross stuff happen. So that being said, that, uh, that species for me is going to be cattle. I'm going to, um, I'm going to pick Angus cattle. Okay. Because, you know, if there is a opportunity to have 10 iconic females in a breed of cattle, why not just start at the top and go Angus and, and, uh, you know, make that your closed herd. Any genetics you sell outside of that are going to be so extremely valuable, knowing that you will never have those genetics back. So in turn, as a breeder, I think that's awfully intriguing. Um, and then I'm going to pass on the opportunity uh, to, to do the, the show career thing. Uh, and not because I don't think it's intriguing. And as a breeder, it'd be kind of cool to breed five head that we could go and win in any show they go to. Uh, but to, to give up the show ring, um, just not, doesn't seem really cost effective to a guy that wants to keep the show ring going. So we're going to pass on that opportunity. Yeah. See, that was where I was at. However, uh, I've got obviously a lot of different things you could do here. I thought initially I would gift those five show animals to, to like a, a, 21 year old like it's their last go and they couldn't step back in the ring anyway like if they didn't have interest in like breeding them or whatever like i thought that i would gift those five animals to that individual that is like working their butt off and do some kind of promotion deal make it fun but then Mm -hmm. like if they can go out and win anything that would be that'd be pretty cool i wonder if uh, i could really put the loophole in it and all five don't have to be one species. Like maybe you've got two bears, two weathers, and then maybe like a, a really badass heifer or something. Oh yeah. Well, I guess if you do that and, and you are gifting it to a last year showman and they're never allowed to step foot back in the ring with any of those species again, you might as well have them all. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I mean, if they're that good, uh, I don't know, maybe, but then the reason I, I I'm struggling here is because you're breeding, you're breeding the 10 iconic females, right? Like that's, I think that's the way to go, right? There's no way to, to, to go over that. I mean, you're a breeder. Unless somebody just wants to go out on top and breed the million dollar high seller. Yeah. Well, and see like if you, but you sold the a million dollar, I mean, you're not going to pass on that option, you know? So, true. Uh, the, it, it, this is a tough one. This is real tough. Um, however, how cool would it be if you did breed the, the million-dollar animal? Yeah. And then you could I just envision this being, being a heifer, by the way. Like the most amazing uh, yeah. Angus heifer you've ever seen. Just like she's an absolute freak. She's got to be for a million-dollar. I don't know why, but that's where my head goes. Yep. And, and then you gift the 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 iconic females to maybe somebody you want to you know see exceed and then maybe reach back into that herd when you when you want to start your own deal or mm. I, 
hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna be really political on this deal, and I'm not so sure that I can commit to much. But uh, this is this is this is out there. And I think he did mention there was one stud with those ten females. That's the one you're breeding. Yeah, yeah. I to me that's the no brainer. But again, you have somebody else out there that says, hey find a loophole here i want to have the million dollar i want to breed the million dollar high seller in a species that i'm not really interested in like goats yeah which i think goats are intriguing don't get me wrong but like if i if i were to say hey i want to be the guy that breeds the million dollar high selling goat and then i want to gift the 10 females or the show pigs and i want to pass on one of the other opportunity or not show pigs but show animals yeah well how could be the thing too like go out on top get your million dollars in your pocket and that would buy you whatever you wanted to do to start your own herd of yeah. whatever. Yeah. Or flock. Yeah, that's a good thought. Yeah, because if you, everybody's going to know who you are if you sold the million-dollar animal. Right. So, and everybody also would know who you are if you bred five pieces of livestock that went out and won every show. No kidding. No but kidding. it's kind of funny. We've had episodes in the past that say nobody remembers who won that show 10 years ago. Yeah. I think this is what I'm doing. This is crazy. I'm going to gift the five animals just because I think that'd be cool. That'd be awesome. Okay. I'm breeding the million dollar. I, this goes against what I just said, but I'm, 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 I'm breeding the million dollar animal because. So what, what is your million dollar animal that Angus heifer or whatever? I think so. Yeah. Because I can't be involved in that species again. And I mean, you're going to break your wife's heart by saying that. I know. I know it should have been a Hereford probably. She'd be a little bit less, (laughs) less mad, but and then uh, that means I got to pass on the, the 10 iconic females deal. But if a million dollars can't buy me 10 iconic females down the road, that is not a close that's, facility. That's fair. You get, you, you raise a good point. You raise a good point. So, I mean, I don't nice. think those 10 iconic females and that one stud are the only ones. So I would go buy my own. I think that's what I'm doing. Ah, well, there you go. And then you, yeah. So gift, gift a kid. One last year, just wrecking shop in the show ring. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. And I, I would do the all species thing. If that individual had interest in all species, I, yep. would, I would do it that way. Yep. Two, two, That's and one. Cool. Woo. How's a tough one. All right. Well, uh, hotline number one more time. We want to see those come in. And even if you just want to say, hey, leave us a message. 234-320-0457. Corey Edge, I was at Buckeye Livestock Expo a couple weeks ago, and I ran in to a show dad. This show dad was not just anybody. His name is Alan Johnson. And I said, man, we've got to get you on the podcast. And uh, we had a nice little chat, and uh, a couple weeks later, here we are. So I'm going to let you do what you do and bring in Mr. Johnson. Well, I don't know that there's much more to say, Trevor, because you, you, uh, you did introduce... Uh, the man who he and his family have been involved in the livestock business for a very, very long time. His wife grew up in it. He grew up in it. They're raising their family in it now. Originating from the state of Ohio. OH. IO. Welcome, Mr. Alan Johnson. Cool. Well, uh, we might as well get started. Uh, thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule. I know it's uh, it was a holiday weekend, and you still uh, 
we're wanting to do this, so we appreciate that a lot. But uh, for those who may not know you, just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, and a little bit about your operation. Sure. Thanks, Trevor. I am. My name is Alan Johnson. My wife and I uh, have four kids, and we live in Dalton, Ohio, which is kind of right in between Worcester and Madison, just north of Amish country. Um, we raise about 90 club land producing ewes. And uh, just like a lot of us, this started out as, a, as an overgrown 4-H project, okay? Um, I met my wife at Ohio State. We both graduated many years ago. And uh, I, when I grad, I had sold all my ewes when I was at Ohio State to, to pay for school. And when I got out, borrowed 2,500 bucks from my granddad and, and got back in the sheep business. And, uh, you know, I guess you could say um, our life revolves around livestock. I, I work for uh, Purina Animal Nutrition as a dairy consultant by day. And uh, have that, that is the only position I've held since I graduated from Ohio State in 94. So it's been uh, 27 years as a dairy nutritionist. And my wife works for uh, Certified Angus Beef as uh, Director of Marketing. And uh, our four kids, our oldest, uh, Clay, is 18, just graduated from high school and will be starting at ATI next uh, or this coming fall. And then we have 17-year-old uh, triplets. We have uh, Grant and Bryce and Kylie, and they'll both be uh, juniors in high school. Wow. Did, did you guys have triplets run in the family or twins or? Well, my wife's sister had twins, so I guess she's to blame for that. Okay. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know there, there's a, there's a, those years go fast and uh, gosh, the, you know, Clay, our oldest was 18 months when the triplets were born and, and it seemed like he went from 18 months to 18 years old and we missed everything in between somehow. It, it just goes by in a hurry. So, uh, well, everybody, everybody's healthy and, and we've been blessed without a doubt. That's awesome. So, you kind of, uh, when you started with the, the sheep, you know, obviously 4 H project, but when you, when you graduated, borrowed some money from your grandpa, uh, what did you, where did you go to find those first group of ewes to, to rebuild on? Yeah. You know, the, the, I'll back up a little bit in college. Um, I paid for a lot of college back in the day when we used to fit butt wool of all things, all these market lambs, we, we'd have these sales and, and you'd get 150 head ready and you'd have to slick shear their whole body and leave butt wool on them. Some of the, the, the younger folks that are in this can't, couldn't imagine doing that. And, and honestly, um, I was, I was aggravated when they took that away because, that gave that was a competitive advantage if you were halfway decent at it. But uh, gosh, it sure made better livestock. Well, as a result, you know we fit. It was it was myself and Tracy Denninger went along a lot, and another guy by the name of Kurt Johnson, Ryan Amstutz. I mean, we just fit all spring, and um, we had got the sale lambs ready at at Schroyer's and at Westlake's and in a number of places, Bruce Acres, a number of places like that, and and. Um, I was, I was relatively familiar with uh, Schroyer's use simply because I had, I had fit those lambs for so many years through college. Went there and bought, uh, I think we brought 12 head 
from John and Larry, and that that's where we got started, and and then from there, it just it just kind of kind of took off. Okay, so tell us about because we you're not the first person that has brought up fitting butt wool uh, on the podcast, and and I think it's so interesting to me because um, you know nowadays, as far as fitting is concerned, you might see some guys fit some flank wool. Um, or, or just get really focused in on fitting, fitting leg wool. But what was, what was the trend or kind of when did that start back then? Uh, what year do you think that would have been when you kind of first remember that being the, the popular thing to do? You know, growing, growing up, um, I, every year I showed there was always butt wool. Okay. So I, I wasn't, I'm not old enough that I remember market lamps being shown with wool all over them. You know, like the old pictures of the South Downs you see winning at the, at the state fair. But uh, we always we always sheared bodies and, and left butt wool. And um, you know, I I think it really got refined. I, I'd say in the early '90s, um, you know, Bradley Johnson and and Freddie, past Freddie. I mean, they could fit butt wool like nobody's business. And and at the time, there were people leaving a just a gob of butt wool on, and and it just didn't look natural and didn't look real. And, and, uh, so the, the trend got to be just the right amount of wool in the right spots. You just didn't leave it back there everywhere. And, and, uh, you know, by the time they eventually took it away, there was, there was more muscle in the sheep. We just needed to straighten some things up. And, and, uh, like I say, when the butt wool went away, we've made better livestock or at least structurally better livestock uh, as a result of it. Was that, do you think, uh, yeah, I'm trying to picture those first sheep, you know, when guys are starting to fully shear them off, you know, what was the, the turning point? Was it a show rule that just said, Hey, you got to slick shear them all. Was it just somebody just made a decision to say, Hey, we need to make it better than this. No, the state, you know, at the time, uh, some of the majors were starting to shear, slick shear everything and and then columbus said it's slick shear only and you know that that took a lot of the fitters out of it and uh you know i it it's really no different than now when when we see a lot of sheep online everybody trims up tail heads just a little bit maybe shears a chest floor and and i'll just tell you i i do it i'll do it in my barn for pictures but I see those lambs every single day and the worst day of the year is when you shear them completely off. Mm, yep. It does not take very much off their, their tail head to square things up. And when you shear them off, you're like, gosh, darn it. That just isn't, it's not what it looked like in the wool. I mean, yeah. so in my opinion, wool is only good for one thing and one thing only, and that's pictures. <laughs> the, rest of time, the rest of the time, it just needs to come off. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Well, it's interesting I, when 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 rules change like that a little bit, you're kind of forced to to make up the gap a little bit. You know, it, it's not as easy as just making sure your lines are straight with the clippers or whatever. But now we gotta stack up muscle and make them built right. So it's interesting. I bet at the time it was kind of like, man, this kind of sucks. Now we gotta go back to ground zero. But looking back, I, I, you know, I'd I'd like to think that it was a good move and, and in fact just building them, building them better. You know. Yeah, it, it, there's no doubt in my mind. I, you know, there's been a lot of trends through the years, and and uh, 
I feel like where we're at right now is a is a is just a really functional animal on the on the sheep side. I mean, there's obviously in the show ring, there's always extremes that you would like to to, to straighten up, but um, for the most part, I mean, they're wider base, they're heavier structured. You know, we say they have have more muscle. I think they have the same amount of muscle in a different shape because our, our rib eyes aren't getting any, our loin eyes aren't getting any bigger and our leg scores aren't getting any bigger. It's just a different package, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, we, we love to talk about this with folks who've been in the game and doing it well, uh, like yourself. And, you know, a lot of folks, they try to play with the trends a little bit. Hey, we got to breed this buck to get this result or, you know, this, we got to buy this set of ewes to, cause it fits where we're at right now. In your opinion, is it more of a making sure you're within the trend or you just, I like these kind, this is the way we're going to breed them. And, and how do you sustain yourself throughout the years? I, you know, um, and there's been people way, way better at it than I have, but, uh, I, I try to stay somewhat in the middle. We're probably not going to hit hit a home run on the upper end, but we're probably not going to hit the valley on the, the bottom end. Um, I'm not, I'm not, um, I, you may not always agree with where the trends go, but at the end of the day, if we want to sell livestock, we've got to, we've got to compete, right? Um, I mean, right now, gosh, the, the, the leg wool thing, they've got to have fur, they've got to be furry. Um, and from a practicality standpoint, ridiculous, right? I mean, absolutely no economic value whatsoever, unless we're selling show stock and you've got to have it. And, and, and I judge that we, we show really hard and, and it looks better with it, but I hate, I hate making sorting criteria because of that, but we're forced, we're, we're forced to, you know, simply because if you don't have it, when people come through the barn, it doesn't matter how good bodied they are or how how heavy structure they are, they still don't look as heavy as those furry ones. So I don't think you can ignore the trends. And I and I certainly don't try to ignore them. Uh I still want my brood used to look like old Angus cows in a pasture. I want them big bodied and wide based. I'd maybe like them heavier structured than some of the Angus cows, but we, you know, <laughs> we, uh, we work at that and, and I don't like to feed them grain all year. I mean, they've got to be functional. Um, and with that being said, they've still got to have a show ring look. Um, so, you know, I, I try to keep that in mind as, as we're going out and finding, finding bucks or, or buying semen on different bucks, you know, there's always a hole that needs to be fixed and, and always, a uh, you know, to this day, we're, I still haven't made one too wide based, you know, or, or too heavy muscle. They may have been too heavy muscle, not had the right pattern, but to put it all together, we're still trying to achieve just a, a good functional, complete animal. And at the end of the day, 90% of our lambs are county fair 4-H projects. Okay. They're not 4-H projects that go to Kansas city or, or Louisville. We'd, we'd hope some of our better ones do, but, uh, those need to be functional livestock that 4-H kids can take and feed and have success with if, if we want to continue to do it long-term. Quick break in the action, folks. We need to tell you about Tarbell Marketing and Design. We tell you about it every single week. And if you haven't by now, you need to go ahead and do it. Go to choosetmd.com 
and just search the amazing work he's done. His portfolio is enormous. The people he works with are amazing, high-end companies, and you can be one of them. If you need a Snapchat filter made, a new logo, a Facebook post, or you want your whole marketing scheme done, you got to do it with Tarbell Marketing and Design. Go to choosetmd.com today and book your next consultation with Jace Tarbell. Yeah, that that brings up uh, another kind of point we were wanting to address too. And and this is, you know, because of the way that sheep are kind of bought and sold today versus, you know, 10, 20 years ago, what, what's your thoughts on, on things that are happening in today's market or in more recent times versus how things were done in the past? Because you guys have had kind of a unique um, way of selling your sheep, you know, off the farm and having a live sale and stuff like that. So, um, maybe walk us through kind of where you see the industry at now compared to what it was as far as how how sheep are being bought and sold. Yeah, there, there's there, you know, technology lends itself to pluses and minuses all the time. I mean, the exposure that that online sales have nationwide is phenomenal. I mean, to be able to sell sheep to the deep south or the west coast just over a picture is astonishing to me. But it happens, and it happens at a at a furious clip in in February, March, and April. You know, I mean, there's there's sales every single day, and multiple sales, and um, so so that that's a huge benefit. I mean, the, the exposure is enormous. I will tell you, I'm still a live sale guy from a seller's perspective, as well as a, a buyer's perspective, because again, that pictures are hard to read. You know, a, a, a good picture can make a, an average one look really good. And and for the money that the top end's bringing, if, if I'm going to buy off of pictures, I'm probably going to at least be at the farm to look at them before I buy those livestock, so whether it's on the pig side or the sheep side. Now, the pig side, you know, a lot of times they have videos, and, and I think that's a, an awesome deal, but it's still hard to read. It's, hard to, it's just hard to read size wise and just the little things um so i you know i'm certainly not going to stand in front of the train on this online deal i think i think we need to be part of it and and we need to be competent at it but i i still think when when you share them off and and clean them up and go to a sale they are what they are yeah you know take, take them for what they're worth and and our 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 live sales are just auctions we put a we put a, a sale barn floor on them and they bring what they bring. You know, there, there's I don't take anything there to protect. I take it to sell. And uh, and we've done that over the years, over and over. And and we've been fortunate enough to to sell a lot of lambs that way. So I, I, I still think there's a place for a live sale. Um, I hope there's a place because I enjoy that. I enjoy interacting with the people at the sales. But but most importantly, when they're at the sale and they take that lamb home, they know what it is. Uh, when they buy one online, if they haven't been to the farm, you hold your breath when they get there, just hoping that that's what they expected to get. Because, you know, I'm not in it to try to to pull a fast one on somebody from a picture, you know. Yeah. Right. So uh, you said, all four, do all four of your kids show sheep? I mean, I know there's a, uh, I think, I know your boy had some hogs there last past weekend or two weekends ago, but do they, are they all showing sheep? 
Yeah, we we uh, uh, three of the three of the kids show sheep. We, we they all started showing sheep, and that was that was a their decision. That was not a my decision or my wife's decision. They were going to show something. They did not need to show show sheep. It, a lot of ways, it would have made it simpler had they not, um, <laughs> because you know every everybody knows that we're going to pull some out of the out of the barn for our own kids. And and I've never really fought, felt bad about that, simply because my kids are only my kids once, and uh, we'd sure like to show what we have. Um, but they all showed lambs for about the first three years. And then uh, we're at the county fair four years ago, I guess. And, and when you have triplets, they're always in the same showmanship class. Yeah. So you have, you have one happy one, one okay one, and one that's not at all. Yeah. <laughs> and and Bryce, Bryce came out of showmanship and, and uh, he happened to be third that day. And, and he said, I'm done showing sheep, Dad. <laughs> and I said, Too well, hey, you don't have to show sheep but you're going to do something. He said, I want to show pigs. And then, and then the real learning curve started because we'd, I'd never shown, I'd never done anything with pigs growing up and uh, forgot we, we've, we've sure enjoyed the pigs. It's a learning curve. And, and uh, I don't think we're very good at it yet, but we're trying. Well, so, one of the things I kind of want, the reason I brought that up is because I, it's tough to raise your own and show your own when you're trying to sell them. And mm -hmm. it's always interesting to hear, you know, you hear some guys that just like you, if I'm going to raise animals, they're going to be for my kids and then we'll sell quality stock. And that still doesn't mean that, you know, the fourth, fifth, sixth one out of your barn could feed to be really good. I mean, just that day, they might be different. And then you have the other end of the spectrum where they, if you raise, if you have kids, you raise your own, you sell everything and go buy your, your kids' stuff. So it's interesting to hear how you market them and, and what your opinion is on when you do have these live sales, is your following is still good. So how do you kind of maintain that that fine line of keeping some back for your kids and still having a customer base? And, and it, it's it's never easy. And, and, and frankly, that's a, a 100% of the reason we're not selling more online early because when, when we hit uh, the, the end of January, I don't know which ones are the best ones yet. So how does anybody else know which one the best right. ones are? And I see, I see them every day. Okay. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, maybe, maybe two months from now, I, I still won't know, but I like to watch them. I like to watch them grow. And, and, you know, we, we do a lot of flush work here. We usually, we usually, well, not a lot relative to some of the bigger guys, but we usually flush uh, three or four ewes every year. And um, so we'll have a lot of flush mate siblings and not very often will we keep more than one or two of those because if one of them's not enough, why would two or three of them be enough to, to win a show? So you'd kind of like to spread it around a little bit, but uh, so we, we pick them out. And when people come to look, we're just straight up. This is, this is the ones we're looking at keeping. If we don't keep it, it will be at Indianapolis at the sale or it'll be at, at the elite edition sale. That This is where it'll be. But these are, these are the ones we're watching. If we don't, if we don't uh, show them, they'll be in the, the live sales. So I, I just, I, we don't have two barns here or three barns where we can move sheep there. When people come and look, they get the full Monte. I mean, it's right. 
it's right in front of them what, what we have to offer. And and I know there's been times when people have come in and and they've been perfectly okay with the ones that we decide to keep because they didn't think they were the right ones anyway. Yeah. So I I we've just tried to we just try to be open with it. And um and, and that's the other reason I don't like pricing them. I'd rather let I'd rather let the public decide, you know. Yeah. No doubt. Well, so when, when it comes to your auction, your live sales, um, you know, we, I mentioned before we went live, we did do a little recon, uh, with Trey Miller just to get a little bit of, uh, third party perspective and and some, some ideas, things to talk about. And he mentioned, uh, so, so, uh, Stitzline was a past guest of ours, uh, on the show. And we, we really enjoyed his podcast. I think we called it grafting goop based on his, uh, his, his method of getting sheep to take, uh, you know, a, a lamb and stuff like that. Uh, but so anyways, um, Trey did mention that you, you and Mike do a, uh, a live sale together, um, and have for a number of years. Um, so what all kind of went into that and, and your reason for it and, and how has it sustained and survived, uh, you know, as long as it has. Yeah, it's, um, you know, back, gosh, even when we first, that was the only way to sell sheep when, when we started. I mean, there were, there were live sales. We started with a board sale. Um, and I think that was probably like, I don't even know, maybe 1997 or something like that. And and it was not just Mike and I. My dad was in the sale with us. There was a guy by the name of Reg Raider, Jimmy Johnson, which is no relation, just happened to have the same last name. And, uh, um, Tracy Denninger has been part of that since pretty much inception, Danny Westlake. And as you had those live sales was, that was the only way to sell sheep. And, and as the online stuff has become more and more popular, we just have just have committed to keeping lambs for those live sales. And uh, um, Mike broke off and had his own for a while because he had so many. I mean, he was selling 80 of his own. And I, I never, you know, we typically take 20 of our own to that the elite edition sale. And just in recent years, as Mike has started doing more online, uh, he came back in the fold. And so, you know, today as it stands, it's, it's Mike and Tracy Denninger and Danny Westlake, Roger and Lisa Shear and, and us in the sale. And we, okay. and we typically have 60 lambs there. And, and, you know, for the most part, those lambs are, are uh, mid-January on because a lot of our county fairs up here are, are end of August, early September. And, and that seems to be a pretty good market. Our, our older sheep, I don't, I don't typically try to keep our late December, early January's back for that sale. We always go out to the Midwest Elite and Premier 10. And we'll take uh, 10 head or so out there. And the online sales that we do have is typically for that older state fair bunch. Because what we've seen in the past is, is if you keep those old ones, everybody's bought up on the old ones because there's so much opportunity to buy. But the young mm-hmm. ones, there are still guys looking for those younger sheep later in the later in April. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny. From our perspective, selling sheep, it seems like you've got to sell them sooner and sooner. Uh, you know, those used to be you could have a December lamb and wait till, you know, March to sell them. 
um, or, or, you know, you get into those, those bigger live sales and you want to save one back or a couple back to go to those things. And it seems like if you don't have them ready to go and ready to sell when they're, uh, you know, 60 days old, um, you're, <laughs> you're going to be SOL cause everybody's already bought them. Yeah, and, and, and those, those online sales come and, you know, a year ago with COVID, those guys that hit those early sales were genius, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Started shutting down. They got to be pretty tough sledding, but um, you know, I, I don't know what's right. I, you know, we, we buy, we, we typically keep um, six or seven of our own for the kids to show. And then I always try to buy a few simply because if what I, if what we're raising doesn't hit that day at Columbus, I, I sure enough want to have something there that is at least going to compete. And uh, so we'll go out and look and, and those online sales, again, I, I bought sheep off of there. I bought sheep that I thought, gosh, that's, I can't miss. And, and you get them home and you share them off. And you're like, my gosh, what did I do? You know, and, and, uh, I, I, I don't know if that would ever catch up um, and and throw things back towards the live side, but you know we hold our breath every year in that live sale, especially this year because we weren't able to have one during COVID, so we missed a year. And you know you have one again this year, and you're not sure if anybody's going to show up, or you have no idea what the market's going to be. And place was packed you know and it was the same way out at the midwest elite and premier 10 i've never seen more people there or more sheep there and i've never seen them bring what they brought i mean they, they sold fantastic you know yeah so i i think there's a place for both and and there, there sure enough needs to be a place for both because it's a great avenue to to move some sheep i think um you know as as we quickly become the, the old people in this deal. And, and I've always viewed the show business as a young man's game, you know? Um, so you just, you just paddle up hills trying to, trying to, to stay somewhat relevant, but the, the, with the social media posts and the, the publicity, if, if, and, and we are not good at that here, Christy or I, I mean, simply because there's a lot going, right. You have four kids in high school and trying to, work and and raise sheep you just don't have time for all that but gosh there is so much hype and and so much of the social media posts that that drive people's buying decisions it's it's phenomenal to me and and at, at some point if we're gonna you know remain relevant we're gonna have to to catch up to that curve a little bit you know it yeah is. that's a it's a tough one to to battle against yes and that social media deal, it's a, it's one of those things where, you know, what's interesting, I guess I was going to get at is like the jackpot circuit, you know, as soon as one wins, it's up there, you know, not even the selling part of things like you were mentioning, but social media, as far as the show circuit goes, um, you know, they, they fire them out there and, you know, things are out there at the fingertips for everybody. And, uh, you know, later in the summer, things start changing, different ones start winning or whatever. So uh, do you guys hit the summer circuit pretty hard or is that something you haven't done? We, we, we did when the kids were young and, and I, I, we never, we never showed the, the jackpot deal to try to win a points, um, you know, to have champion crossbred at the end of the year, or champion showman. We, we used it as an avenue to get the kids in the ring same reason we went to these pig jackpots. I mean, you take a 130 pound pig 
that does victory laps around the ring. You, you're obviously not there to try to win the show, but <laughs> we need to be in the show ring more. We need to get the livestock out and see how they handle handle the, the hall and the pool and all that. And that's exactly what we used it for. So when the kids are young and, and they needed to, to be in the ring more, we went a lot more. As they've gotten older, uh, we typically go to two jackpots. We go to one early to, to see how we stack up um, relative to what's out there. And, you know, there's some early enough that, that gosh, there's a possession date. And if, if you need to find one before then, you, you have time. And then we put them up and we go to one uh, typically in the uh, towards the end of June. And that's kind of a, a dry run for Columbus. We, we see how they pull. We see what we need to do. We see how they handle up. I mean, it's usually way hotter than it's just all that, all those things that you try to prep for, for Columbus. And, and our, our main objective is, has always been the state fair. Um, and that, so that's kind of what we, we shoot for. I mean, I know I, there's folks that we work with that go weekend and week out on, on the jackpot uh, show circuit and, and have a ball with it. And, you know, we enjoy helping them, but I have no desire to, to drag those sheep every weekend. Yeah. Well, it's gotcha. always amazing. Like even at, at Buckeye Livestock Expo on the mic and the, and the sheep ring several times, I heard, uh, you know, both judges saying, I'm amazed how fresh these are. It's so hot out here and they, they, they could melt so easily, but they're fresh, they're hydrated, they touch well. So uh, with your experiences, what are some of those tips that you've taught either your, your family or the, the folks that you've got showing for you how to keep them hydrated, and especially during the, the summer months when it's so easy for them to wash out? Yeah, I, I think the, the biggest thing is, is um, I, I do think it's really hard to keep one uh, really dialed in two or, or, or certainly three weeks in a row. But if you can alternate weeks, you know, go, go this week and then skip a week, I, I think you can get them back on feed. And, and then when it's time to pull on them and, and get them to look right, you can. Um, but I think a, a big part of the, the, what we do is, is we're showing them way fuller than we used to. Um, you may dry the, the extra little bit of belly out of them with feed but you're certainly hydrating all the time and and uh you know muscles an awful lot of water and yeah. the more the more fluids we can keep in there and, and and pound in there the the better and i think that's the main thing you know I, if i walk back to our trailer or family's trailer we're working with and i start seeing some pin wrinkles it typically just means we've got to hydrate more mm. There's so um, when it comes to showing you know, sheep consistently and and being competitive in in that arena, you know something I was thinking about is you were talking about um, Trevor about Buckeye Livestock Expo and how they you know try to you know judges compliment sheep on how they handle and things of that nature. There's so there's something to be said too. I think about. Um, you know, breeding livestock with natural shape and, and the ability to just not have to utilize a feed bucket as hard uh, to get that, that right kind of shape. It seems like now more than ever, when the weather changes and starts to get hot, sheep go off feed, their, their loin edges just really fall out of them. And, you know, you got maybe 
15 to 20 days to get it up and right again. Um, and, and that hydration plays a huge role in that. So that's, uh, you know, a lot of people ask me too, is what do you use for a drencher? You know, I don't know that a drench is a magical formula to help you get better muscle shape. It's just a matter of getting, getting livestock that's bred right to have the kind of muscle shape you need and then keeping it hydrated. Yeah. Yeah. We, we tend to, we, it's the craziest deal ever. We, we flop feed our sheep, but we don't our pigs. Sometimes <laughs> I wonder why, but, but, uh, you know, when, when, uh, we, we feed to feed floating, you know, and, and the only reason we do that is because you can't drench at these, these shows or at the state fair. And, uh, when a sheep quits drinking, you have to have a way to get more fluid in it. And all you have to do is sprinkle a little feed and they're going to take whatever fluids with that feed. And, and, if we just keep pounding water at them, gosh, it, it makes a huge difference on what they look like, what they handle. Yeah. So. so am I right, uh, Alan, in saying that in Columbus, you do have an upper weight limit of 145. Is that right? It's 140. It's 140. 140 across the scales. You can you get a five pound weight back. Yeah. Okay. So, and I think I asked Mel Marks this question, but you know, there, the episode that we did with those guys was a long time ago. Um, what are your thoughts on, on that compared to, you know, other States in the Midwest, even down South where they're showing these sheep till they're 13, 14 months old at 170, 175. Um, do you think you have an advantage or disadvantage being able to play in that, you know, 140 maximum weight range, getting sheep dialed in when we've got sheep that are, you know, later maturing now than what they would be and probably don't look their best at that, you know, 130, 140 range. Yeah, you know, I first of all, from a weight limit standpoint, I, I was again, I, it, everything comes full circle, but I was against it, right? Uh, the reason that weight limit got put into place is because the buyer of majority of those lambs was Kroger's and they wanted a, a carcass weight that was under 70 pounds. They, they wanted a carcass weight that they could utilize. So, whenever a the commercial side of the business comes in the show ring, how can we argue against that? Because ultimately that's what we're doing it for, right? So I, I think that, that the 140 pound weight limit, I mean, we're getting these huge uh, cutting percentages. So our carcass weights are still plenty big, but if that's what the buyer wants, to me, that's that's where we need to show them. I mean, that that's what our consumer says they want is that size of carcass. So that makes 100% sense to me. Um, do we have an advantage? I think what that does is, is that keeps some really old sheep from being shown because it just would be impossible to have some really old sheep under 140. And if they were, they're probably pretty quick anyway. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So they, you know, that you still have to have a, a show sheep that, that has some look and, and, but they still have to have enough mass and empowered to them to to compete so it's just a place we've been any show in the country could put a limit on there and people would adapt to it right um it's just adapting to where you're at we still need to have you know here at home we've we've moderated the size of sheep that we have simply because you have to have some maturity to compete and it if, if it takes them to 150 pounds before they get enough maturity well then that's not what what we need so we did try to moderate them a little bit, um, but they still have to have enough size and look to, to look like a show sheep and be able to compete. 
Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I've always found that fascinating because, uh, you know, a lot of friends that I have in Ohio, it seems like, um, you know, trying to sell sheep that direction, engage, you know, well, what's this one going to look like maturity wise at 135, 140 when they're max, you know, supposed to be maxed out for a state fair compared to, you know, what we do here in Indiana and we can run 155, 160 pounders through the ring that still look fresh, but they're bigger sheep. Uh, they're maybe a little bit later maturing to get to that size and weight because at 140, they probably aren't just as manly or as just opened up as they could be. So yeah. I find that interesting because it, you know, makes, makes a world of a difference in a breeding program too. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you see the pictures from the state fair. I, I tend to think the, the lambs from Columbus look more youthful than a lot of, a lot of the state fairs. And I don't know whether that's good or bad. It is what it is. Uh, yeah. But you still you're still trying to find the the widest base, most powerful lamb in a in the right kind of stru- structure at 140 pounds. And and you know our show is relatively early. It's usually the third week of July. You know, if it was October, you'd probably have to do something a little different. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense for some of the Southwest shows, though. I mean, time wise, they probably just have to be a little older, a little bigger, but. Um, this is kind of off subject a little bit, but you know, you've talked about how your full-time job right out of college was dairy nutrition, your wife was CAB and you know, you've got kids that are probably going every which direction in high school. How do you guys maintain your work balance with your, your operation balance? We've, we've asked this to several folks, but it's always interesting, uh, because folks listening may, you know, Maybe their livestock's not their full-time job, and I guess you're a prime example of that. You've got a competitive group at home, but you're also employed doing other things. So how do you guys kind of manage that time-wise? Yeah, you know, our, our, our deal never started as a, with any intention of making a living doing it, okay? So, I, you know, I, I tell people all the time, this is our family's boat. Some people have a boat to go to the lake. We have livestock to go yeah. to the barn. Yeah. And, and I don't know who's more intelligent. It depends when you ask, right? <laughs> but, but, uh, but, you know, we, we do want, they, they've got to pay feed. They've got to pay replacement costs. They've got to pay barn improvements. I, that's not going to come out of cash flow from our, our jobs. So they've got to take care of themselves. So, um you know, as far as a balance, there's no, there's no doubt in, in either Chrissy or I's mind what butters our bread. And that's our, that's our careers. You know, we, we have to be good at what we do to, to be able to maintain those, those careers. And we, and we both really enjoy, you know, on the Karina side, I, I like working with dairymen. I like the, the nutrition side has helped me immensely, even in the sheep side of things, you know, um, Christy likes the people she works with and really likes working with, with cattle producers. So it's just a good fit. Now on the, on the sheep side, um, you know, we spend a lot of time in the barn, but, but that's our, that's kind of our release and, and we enjoy it. And we, you know, probably the, the most rewarding time is leaning over the fence um, in mid January, deciding whether you made any improvement or not, you know, and there's mm-hmm. some place where you can't get the barn lights shut off quick enough. Yeah. It's just time to go in. And and there's other nights where you say, gosh, that, that's a that's a nice set of nice set of lambs. Or, you know, so it's it's been a good family deal for us. The kids are out out there. I mean, they're not out there all the time. I I don't make them do 
do the chores. They do their, they do the, the show stock is theirs. I don't, the only thing I do in that is I change the feed board. Nobody's allowed to touch a feed board, <laughs> but me, but, but they wait <laughs> out to feed it. And, and, uh, um, but on the U side, I, I don't consider that necessarily their project. Now I expect help out there when we're, when we're tagging and banding and they do all the, the bedding work, you know, and there's things that they have to do because, uh, you know, they have a place to live in something to eat. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but <laughs> that, it's just, it's just what, what we enjoy and what we've always done. You know, my wife grew up showing steers and, uh, She'll tell you she married into the sheep business, but I I think if you talk to her, she likes it the same as I do. So, well, and she just didn't show up any any just regular common steer. I mean, she was she was very competitive in the cattle industry. So yeah, yeah, she uh, yeah, that and that I'm I'm just and and you know we gave our kids the option, uh, you know, if you want to show steers, we'll go at it now. You know, fortunately, nobody took us up on that because that that's all in, right? I mean, yeah. that's Twelve months of the year, and and, uh, and and plus, they show them when it's cold. Okay, and I'm not a cold guy. If I'm going to be in the in the barn, that's all right, but I don't need to be at a show when it's cold. So, but yeah, she they grew up showing steers. They showed with with bosses, uh, Todd and Cordell, and Matt and Kyle. They showed with all the bosses pretty competitively and and enjoyed it. So. That's awesome. Yeah. It's fun when the, the species, uh, families can come together and, and then, uh, a lot of times they have to pick which one they want to go with. And, um, you know, not that sheep are inexpensive, but compared to show steers today, they're just a little bit more cost effective. I think. No doubt. No doubt. All right. One more pause in the action here. If you enjoy high quality photography and you are one of these type of people that does purchase your backdrop picture and happens to post them online. It's very likely that if you attended a major stock show in the last decade, you have discovered that the most quality imagery that you can find comes from the fine folks at legacy livestock imaging. That's right. Charles and Heidi Anderson are still at it and taking over the entire world when it comes to these incredible pictures that they're doing ring shots beyond the ring shots photography sessions that you you come up with it they can do it uh not only do they do this for stock shows but folks your professional businesses and companies could benefit greatly by high quality imaging from legacy livestock and their team visit legacylivestockimaging.com take a look at their portfolio and galleries and see what they've come up with Let's get back to the show, Trev. Well, we want to we want to get into telling some stories here. Um, we we were told, um, you know, that that traveling the country, looking at bucks, um, especially with Mike, you, you've got some pretty good stories on your trips to Oklahoma and back and in the Southwest. So, what's a what's the good Stitzline story you can tell us with your travels looking at sheep? You know, we we started going to, to Oklahoma probably you know now mike is older than me make no mistake about it okay <laughs> he, he squeezed four years of college right into about nine okay? <laughs> and 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 i squeezed four years right into five so but we had a lot of fun doing it and and so probably 94 we started going out there and 
And for the most part, it, it was myself and Mike, and, and there was a guy by the name of Regrader that would always go out with us. Um, and then JJ, Jimmy Johnson, would go out. And uh, we'd always start at the OYE, and that's one of the best livestock shows ever. And uh, we'd watch, we'd watch, watch the shows, and and gosh, we went everywhere. And, and we'd spend a week. I mean, we'd be we'd we'd leave on a on a Monday and get home on a Sunday. And sometimes we'd fly, sometimes you drove, whatever whatever worked. But you know, we'd leave we'd leave OYE and we'd head west to Arapahoe out to Cadmuses, and then you'd start south. And gosh, you know. Perlemans and and Brian and Bradley Johnson and Harold's you, you you just went everywhere but probably the 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 and we did that for ten years our 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 first child was born Clay was born in 02 and I still went out that year but when the triplets were born no nah, I wasn't going to get away for a week <laughs> that, that got dictated and. Uh, probably the best part of those trips was you know when we were on when we were walking through pens of sheep we nobody was doing a whole bunch of talking you're just trying to write numbers down and make notes and and uh you know you'd, you'd ask the breeder what's this out of or what's that out of but you know as you as you get it back in the the minivan rental and head from Arapahoe to go to bow you'd have two and a half hours and man, I like this one. Well, I like this one, you know, and, and he, Mike would see stuff that I didn't, I'd see stuff that, that he didn't. And, and it, you just, it really made you study sheep. Now, you know, we bought bucks every year and I could count on one hand, the number that have ever turned out. Right. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a few of them that made their mark over the years and the rest of them I would consider chaff. Um, now there may be some females out of those lines that have worked, but just fantastic experience. But, but, you know, we were out there at, uh, OYE. And of course that, I believe that was like a, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday show. And, you know, I, we didn't have livestock there. So we were just hanging out having a good time. And, uh, JJ, Jimmy Johnson, he come down with with some sort of bug right and uh, and the first day he kind of holed up at the, the motel and and uh it wasn't getting any better and finally he ends up at the er and we're at the show and and he's calling and, and we're checking on him you know he's just let us know when you need we'll come back and pick you up but i'm not sitting at the er with him <laughs> and, and and here it comes out that that he got a, a case of C. diff. So, I mean, he was scoured bad. <laughs> and, oh, and no. That, and that, so that, so we're only in the city for three days. The rest of the time we're on the road. And, and uh, so you can imagine how the rest of that trip went. Well, he ends up buying a, a buck from Dwayne Hurlman that really made a pretty, pretty big impression for JJ. And, well, and a lot of people, but he called him ER because, you know, I, he spent most of the trip in the ER, but there, there, I could tell you stories for hours, but I, you know, I learned a lot on those trips just in, in evaluate livestock and being able to pick out. And, and honestly, the school of hard knocks, you spend 
25, 35 or 4,500 on a buck and, and you get them home and, and uh, your wife says, what in the heck is that? Well, pretty soon you'll learn not to do that. Very often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell one more story. We were out at, we were out at, um, in Oklahoma and I, I bought a buck lamb from, from schedules. Okay. And, and you buy, you, you buy those in April and they don't come back till corp time. So, or, or you no you buy them in February. They don't come back till corp time. And so Mike was out at corp. I couldn't go out there. He was going to haul this buck back for me. And uh, so you, you run over to Mike's on Monday night when he gets home and he's got all the, the sheep he hauled back in the pen. And I had in my mind what this buck looked like when I picked him out, what he should look like now. Well, I'm looking around this pen and like, and he's just standing up on the barn floor with kind of a grin on his face. I'm like, what the heck? I said, where's the sheep at? And he points to this sheep that looks like somebody took a weed eater to it, right? <laughs> well, they, they had hauled it. They had hauled a uh, track dog back for a guy. And that track dog jumped the gate, the, the, the wider gate in the trailer and went to work on this buck lamp. And he had skin tags and everything else hanging off him. I thought, oh, my gosh. I said, Mike, that sheep's just going to stay here for a few weeks because I'm not taking that one home. (laughs) 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 What the heck that's all about. So, yeah, no, those were those are fantastic trips. And and, uh, the buck thing has changed a bunch since then because of all the semen stuff. I don't know if it's if, if it's easier or harder, but it's sure enough different, you know. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it takes, you know, those, those, uh, those people that do make the trips and travel and, and see people's operations that, uh, it, it does take those kind of people out there to find the bucks that end up being those kind of semen selling type of sires in today's world. But, um, when, when you, uh, when you go out and you buy bucks and, um, you know, what's your, what's your kind of, um strategy when it comes to finding those maybe those bucks that you don't want to spend you know forty fifty thousand dollars on but you know obviously we want to breed to some of those um what's your strategy on kind of partnerships and and how you uh how you go about that yeah we've we've been and, and i've been fortunate over the years that my my dad had a flock of ewes and, and we always ran our youth separate um he had 60 ewes at the time we had about 60, but we bought bucks together. So that would spread the cost out a little bit. But, but I, when I say spread the cost out, that's when 15,000 was a lot right now. I mean, we, we have one spring 240,000. I'm out. Yeah. I can't do that on a hundred ewes. Um, so, and over the years we've, we've worked with, I've worked with Mike, I've worked with, with Shears, um, my brother's all, tend to to have or all have some use also and uh i have no problem owning bucks with people we just try to uh you know we still ai to those bucks we'll have a fresh jump and and that way we can cover way more use to a buck lamb person you know for instance if we if we buy one um but in in the last probably three years you know there's bucks out there that look look awfully awfully good for let for instance, last year um, I saw that say one buck that Tyler Rhodes has, and and I, he he hit me, and he, he was he was clean, he, he was an FF, and I thought you know I'm gonna I'm gonna flush to that, and and we had 
two really, really good flushes out of it. And I kept a buck lamp. So, you know, the hardest part is, is when you go out in the countryside, nobody's likely going to sell you a buck out of their very best you family, because they're probably going to keep that. I know what my best you families are. If I can use bucks and, and try to raise some that way, I think we will. Um, I still think there's a place where we're going to need to find an outcross of some sort um, to get out there and find it. This, this dwarf gene thing is, is making it tricky. <coughs> um, I, you know, I'm not the guy that says you have to, you can't have the dwarf gene. I, I think it makes it really inconsistent. Mm. If, if, you, if you have a, a, an FD buck and you breed it, when you get that D, they look like they should. If you don't, a lot of times they don't look like they should. And I'd like to, I'd like to have more consistency. Um, but I think we're forced to use those kind of bucks until we find a really round bodied, wide based furry clean one, you know, and, and those are just hard to come by right now. We went through this whole deal with the, the, the spider, the spider gene back, I don't know, 20 years ago. And, and we worked ourselves out of that. And I think we'll work ourselves out of this dwarf gene. It's just going to take a little while. Yeah, you bring up an interesting topic. You know, there for a little while, I thought it was going away as far as people really having major conversations about it. And then just the last couple of months, it seems like social media has just exploded about it again. I think it's, you know, comes with the time, people trying to make breeding decisions and stuff like that. And people promoting their their FF bucks. And and there's other people out there that say, who cares what the what the letters are at the end? If they're good sheep, they're good sheep. And to a certain extent, I'd agree with that. But there's a there's definitely some some learning curve to happen on our part as breeders to really develop sheep that we feel comfortable with. And like you say, get consistency because there's FD sheep that look clean. There's FF sheep that look like dwarfs and, and just trying to figure out what the, what the deal is on that's going to be uh, a task in its own. But I'm, I'm interested to see who, who the people that are really focused in on it, just kind of where they take it. I, I, uh, you know, the, the, I, I don't, I'm not afraid of any buck, whether it's FF or FD. What I made the decision to do is I'm going to know what every view is. Okay. And, and there are, there are, you know, I have FFUs that look like they're FDs. I have FDs that look like they're FF and, and those FFs that look like they're an FF and don't, I'll put a D in them. I'm, I'm not afraid to do that. Um, I don't need a bunch of dwarfs running around, but I guess it's not the, the fear of, of full-fledged dwarfs running around as it is the inconsistency. I just mm-hmm. want to be able to have more consistency in, in what they produce. You know, if even in a flush, I mean, if, if you flush and get a D's, the D's look good and the F's don't or, or vice versa, it, it just shouldn't be like that. So yep. there is no doubt in my mind we'll find round-bodied, big bone, furry, clean ones. It just, it's just going to take some time. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Well, uh, I think we're at the point in the episode. We're going to jump into a segment called drop the mic. This is Levi Richards with Kalmbach feeds and formula champion show feeds. As you're fine tuning those market lambs and gearing up for your state fair or county fair, look to use formula champions, X factor show lamb feed. This barley based textured feed is designed to put your finishing touches on your lambs 
Following their start on our Power Takeoff Starter Grower, X-Factor will finish lambs with an ideal degree of finish and keep them firm to the touch and fresh in their appearance. You can also use top dresses like Hard Drive, Afterburner, and Moonshine Liquid Bat to perfect that phenotype leading into that lamb's target show. For more information, visit www.formulachampions.com or find Formula Champions on all major social media platforms. X-Factor, you either have it or you don't. We kind of let our guests talk about whatever they want to talk about. Whether that's a shout out or something that's weighing on your mind or uh, we just kind of shut up and listen. So drop the mic. Well, I appreciate it. I told you at the, the beginning of the episode, I'm, I'm simple minded, so it won't take long. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with with both of you. And, and it's always fun talking with livestock people. I mean, that's why we do what we do. And um, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a lot of different segments of the livestock industry that I'm involved with from a commercial side to, to I would, I would uh, consider myself a, a extreme rookie on the pig side. So when I have folks that, that their learning curve straight up on the sheep side, I know exactly what they're feeling because we're feeling it on the pig side. And, and uh, you know, I guess the, the only the, the thing that I would say about the show business is it, it gets so competitive, right? And at the end of the day, um, you know, nobody's going to remember who won XYZ show in 10 years. You know, it, it's who, who, who's going to win the next year. It, it, the show business is, is finicky like that. Nobody remembers the past very long. It's on to the next thing. And, and I always try to have our family and, and the families we work with keep that in mind. Um, we use the show business as a way to raise a family and be together as a family. And uh, we're as competitive as, as anybody as far as wanting to do well, but, but we, we feed what we have and, and we try to control the things we control and let the chips fall where they may. You know, and, and, and at the end of the day, if, if when our share, show career is over and, and the kids have good memories, then it was a success. I mean, you sure would like to win along the way, but, but winning's not the only objective. I think we've got to raise kids that are, are going to be, you know, good kids and productive in, in society as, as we go forward. And that's what we've tried to do. And, and we, we hope we can continue to do that. So. We've been fortunate in the show business. Um, we, we enjoy it. We have our battles in the yard every night, just like everybody else. Our neighbors think we've lost our mind. I'll guarantee it. <laughs> and, uh, but that's all right. And, and, you know, I just, I feel fortunate to have been part of it and, and still be part of it. And uh, we look forward to, we've got two years. Our, our oldest is done this year. We've got two years left with the triplets and, and uh, it will be different that first year, but when everything's for sale, that sure takes some of the decisions out of it. Everything's just for sale. So, I bet. Yep. Uh, we, there, there, there's pluses and minuses to everything, and, and uh, you know, we'll be ready for a little break when the kids are done, but we'll sure miss it when they're done as well. And, and I, those years have sure gone fast, way faster than I thought they would, but they're starting to get to the short roads now. So. All I would tell show folks is don't get so caught up in, in the winning and losing that you, you, 
you don't recognize the path to get there. So that that's what I would leave you with. Uh, the only shout out I would have is we do have uh, 20 U lambs available for sale to anybody that's interested. So there you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, we awesome. really appreciate it. Uh, love the, the drop the mic. You definitely, um, you know, I, 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 you hear it all the time. Judges say it all the time, but there, there's no better industry to raise your family in. And, uh, to, I, I'm really enjoying watching kids that I helped at 10 year old who are now 15, 16 and driving cars. It's kind of wild already. And, and it's just kind of starting. So, uh, I really appreciate those kind words, but, uh, and we really appreciate you jumping on. I know it's kind of a busy time of year and uh, I stopped you there at uh, in Worcester and I said hey we need to get you on the podcast so here we are so uh well we really appreciate it and uh we uh, look forward to, to hear how this one's received very good I appreciate it thank you yep thanks Alan appreciate your time good talking with you there we go again Mr. Corey Edge it's I, we ought to keep track of how many times you just bump into somebody at a show and like hey you want me on the podcast boom there it, there it is so uh, yeah. We are beefing up our content list, and we have a lot of ideas, and uh, we would like to hear yours as well. Uh, if you go to stocktalk-podcast.com and leave us a suggestion, we always look at those. The quickest way to get to us is on Facebook. Uh, we are on all the social media platforms. I'll tell you, we have some merchandise still. We've got t-shirts available at stocktalk-podcast.com. If you order them, we ship them the next day. That's our promise. So, uh, yeah. If you are listening to us from Louisville, Kentucky, we hope that you're enjoying yourselves and having a great trip. If you are elsewhere in the universe, maybe you're at uh, Hereford Junior Nationals or another junior national that's currently having the cattle business, uh, hopefully you're having a good time as well. The national, um, the uh, the national uh, youth sheep show just happened, and for whatever reason, I cannot think. The All American Junior Show is what I'm thinking of. There you go. Uh, yeah, they had 3,500 head of sheep entered for that thing, Trev. Yeah, I think uh, probably not the most they've ever had entered, but got to be right up there at the top. And Man. they probably, yeah. So they they filled up the Illinois State Fairgrounds uh, with with sheep all over the place. So there's lots of exciting things happening in our stock show world. And we are excited to continue to bring you the heat every single week. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, folks, we love each and every one of you. Uh, if you're interested in any kind of sponsorship, uh, we have all kinds of levels. Uh, depending on how many people you want to reach, we can help you out. Just hit us up on any social media messaging. We can get that done for you. We will see you next week. <laughs>